Welcome everyone to another episode of Cashflow Equals Accounting. This is your host, George Aguilar, and today we have Susanne and Gary, uh, two real estate investors who run 45 North Investment Properties. Susanne and Gary, welcome to the show. Hi, George. How are you? Hi, George. Thanks for having us. All right. So the first question that I always ask my guests is, how did you guys get started in real estate investing? Um, well, there's a long and a short story to that. Um, the long story is that we've been um, in construction and contractors for over 25 years. And young in our careers, we always had an interest in um, flipping houses. A lot of it came from the TV shows that you see. Um, and then our interest love of construction. Um, and then my passion for designing stuff. And we had a realtor, we were looking at houses, we found stuff we wanted to renovate, but we couldn't always put all, put all the pieces together. So, you know, where do we find money? How do we buy the house? Um, and I mean, this is, you're talking 25 years ago. So, I mean, smartphones aren't what they are. We had really cool flip phones with the walkie talkie on them from Nextel and um, the internet isn't what it is today. We actually use the yellow pages to look people up and look up other businesses. And um, GPS was Microsoft Streets and Trips on our laptop, jerry-rigged to a little cell thing in our car, trying to find our way around. Um, so it wasn't like you could just flip open the yellow pages to hard money lender or private money lender um, and find what you needed. So we were busy with our construction company, so the interest kind of went in and out of our focus. And then at one point, um, we got connected with some investors that were renovating and they hired us to be their contractor. Um, but in a kind of a non-traditional way, as far as contractors are concerned, usually you hire them for a price and there's a markup and, and they do the work and um, all that. Well, we took an equity split. So basically we were um, almost like JV partnering with them, um, even though we didn't realize that's what we were doing at the time. So um, they brought the property, the money, we did the construction, and then we took a split. And that motivated us to get projects done more quickly, higher quality, um, so that we could get them done and get our, um, get our money um, out of the project. Um, and then we, you know, the crash happened and, um, we changed our business over the years and went to work for other people as project managers. Um, about five and a half years ago, we moved out to Minnesota and, um, from Washington state and saw the opportunity here in the market. Um, what we were seeing was basically where Seattle is today, but 15 years before it was happening. So still a lot of growth opportunity in the market. And so we decided at that point to really dive in and um, pursue our goal of, of renovating flipping houses. Um, and so we've been doing it pretty steadily since March of 2016. Great. I, 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 lo I love the story, uh, Suzanne and Gary. So how did you guys prepare in terms of training and education from being a construction uh, company to being real estate investors and how long did that take from the training to your first deal that's a great question george the the similarities between 
at least the uh, the fix and flip side of of real estate investing and running a construction company are very similar. Um, there's there's really uh, the similarities in running the business um, really made for a for a very smooth transition where we had to really educate ourselves was the financial side and the lingo. Um, when speaking to private money lenders, hard money lenders, uh, any financial institutions, so that was a uh, that was a very quick learning process for us because shortly after we uh, really dove into it here in the Twin Cities, and I mean shortly within thirty days, we had two houses that we were under contract on wow. and uh, and closing on. So we figured this out pretty quickly and have been kind of taking our lumps along the way and and learning the rest as we went so going back to those two deals uh, what were the challenges you know what went to according to plan what were the lessons learned can you elaborate a little bit more on that Gary yeah absolutely so boy the lessons learned that time thinking back now and it's kind of making me chuckle um, finding contractors so like Suzanne said earlier, we've been we've been in the building industry. We've been licensed building uh, professionals for the better part of the last 25 years, and we really thought that wasn't going to be an issue when we relocated out here to the Midwest. When we landed that first deal, I remember walking 15 builders and general contractors through that project because my plan. And Suzanne and I were on the same page with this is we, we wanted to put down the contracting side of our business and really focus on the investing side right I wanted to write checks that was pretty much about it and uh, after interviewing 15 different uh, general contractors for that project we quickly learned that the pricing was absolutely outrageous and a lot of these guys just didn't have the uh, the knowledge, the background, and the expertise to do what uh, what we were trying to do, which was add a structural addition onto an existing house and then renovate the existing house to match the uh, the new construction. So I would say contracting was was one of our biggest struggles right out of the gate, finding contractors, which kind of led us down the road to uh, to becoming our own. Uh, licensed general contractor here in the state of Minnesota and just running our own business and developing our own crews. I mean, th that is something that I definitely want to um, uh, touch upon a little bit more. Uh, but before we move on to that, so now when you guys are in Minnesota, moved to Minnesota, you guys saw what was going on in Washington. So when you look at the market in Minnesota, what things were you guys looking at? You know, job growth, location. Can you elaborate on that? Yeah, absolutely. And and those job growth and um and the market were were two key factors. So what we found when we moved here is um with St. Paul and Minneapolis, the Twin Cities, um there's a high number of Fortune 500 companies that call the Twin Cities home. So um we have a, a large number of um anchor employers in the area where if one employer decides to take their headquarters and move somewhere else there's still several others that are going to be here um target medtronics um amazon has a 
has a headquarters here. 3M. Um, 3M is here. And those are just to name a, name four. And those are four very different industries right there. Um, so that was a huge thing. Um, plus the number, the age of homes in this area. So, um, you know, majority of the homes are creeping on 100 plus years old in our area. Um, the life of a home for a renovation is about 50 years. About every 50 years, um, if not less, that home is going to need to be updated, upgraded, um, whatnot. So if you think about that, the number of the amount of density that we have in the two metro areas, that every year you have a large number of homes that cross that 50-year timeline. So there, the supply of homes to um, renovate and purchase is significant here. Um, the median home price um, was a huge factor. So um, in Washington, where we're from, the median income could not afford to own a home at the median home price, uh, where that's not the case here. The median home price is much lower. Um, there's a lot of diversity of pricing of real estate throughout the area. So not only is there a lot of economic stability, um, job growth, but the real estate market itself um, was supporting a large amount of growth. It was still affordable, right? So fast forward five years, our housing values in the Twin Cities have increased substantially, which is the same rate of growth at which we saw things taking place in the greater Seattle area back when we were uh, we were building out there. <laughs> wow, that, like that's that's pretty awesome that you guys were able to see um, that transformation before it happened, and you guys were able to jump on it, uh, you know, before the spike. Now, going back to that construction, um, to your, your to your guys's construction background, like I really love to talk about this because this tends to be a common issue that I often hear other real estate investors talk about, and I wanted to dive a little deeper into this. Um, so you talked about struggling to find the right contractors with the right experience without you know those inflated prices. So if you guys were to give you to give us your quick tips or your five things that you have to look out for when you hire a contractor, what would that look like? Well, five tips. One, I would say, you know, References is what a lot of people will tell you to do. Check their references. Check their work. I uh, I tend to steer away from that because I found a lot of these contractors, their references will be their brother, their sister, their mom, their their best friend. And, of course, all those references are going to come back glowing. What I've found really works for us is... When I contact a new contractor, first of all, I'm not finding them in uh, in the yellow pages, or I'm certainly not turning on the TV and looking at commercials for uh, for contractors in the area. Those people operate at a retail level, and as an investor, you're looking for wholesale or builder pricing, right? You can't afford to pay retail pricing what Ma and Pa Clampett, so to speak, would be paying if uh, if they picked up the the uh, the Google and uh, and went looking for a contractor, right? So I go looking in places like Craigslist, um, 
Facebook Marketplace, online platforms that replace the classified ads. Uh, those are great places. Word of mouth has been the uh, the greatest key to finding some of our best subcontractors. We also look at like um, jo- other job sites that are around our projects. You know, whose name is on the van? What we found here in Minnesota that was really different from Washington is that um, in Washington, when we're hiring a subcontractor, like a siding subcontractor, for example. The guy that we're talking to, that we're negotiating the contract with, it's him and his guys that are installing it. What we found in Minnesota when we moved out was a lot of sub-subcontractors. So we would be talking to one company, negotiate the contract, and then they would hire another company to actually come and do the work. And sometimes even that company was hiring another company to do the work. So the layers of markup was significant. And then because where we're located geographically in the kind of the interior of the United States, we have very little migrant labor here, which um, we had more of in Washington. Um, Plus, it's pretty cold here in the winter, so not a lot of people migrate to our area, um, you know, from the West Coast, like California, Texas, um, even Florida area. The coasts have a lot of, um, you know, migrant or immigrant work um, that, in all honesty, is less expensive than than other people. Um, So we want to find the guy that's actually there swinging the hammer, putting the stuff on the wall, doing the work. Um, Cause that's the one, that's the guy that's one, he's going to know the most about the project Two, He's going to, we're going to be able to tell how skilled their um, quality is. And three, we're going to get the best price from him. Yeah. So <clears throat> to touch back with your five points, one obviously is finding the contractors. Where do you find them? Like I said, the online classified type uh, places like Craigslist. The second one would be, how are you going to vet this contractor, right? So my suggestion with vetting a contractor is go see a job that they're currently working on or a job that they've currently completed. I'm a big fan of seeing work that they're currently working on. If your contractor can't take you to a current job site that he's currently on, that's a huge red flag, right? The next one I would say would be for us it's a little bit hard it's, I mean I guess it's easier but harder for us to explain yeah. because we've been in the industry long enough we like we know like Gary said on the real estate side we know the lingo we know if someone's trying to pull the wool over our eyes or not yeah. and, and that's a hard thing to to teach and we actually work with several investors through a construction management program that we have that we, we try and help educate them on the construction side to give them a little bit more knowledge in their tool belt so that when they are talking to contractors, they're not getting snowed and taking to the cleaners. Um, Another thing is I don't, I don't allow my subcontractors to quote or bid my jobs. All of my projects have a fixed bid. I'm very confident in the pricing that I use to establish those line items. So like, for example, I'll call up my painter and say, hey, you know, I've got a job. This is what it entails. Here's a detailed scope of work. That's important. We'll touch back on the scope of work here in a second. But with that detailed scope of work, I can hand this to my painter and go, hey, I've got $6,000 in the budget. This is what I need it done for. Is this something you can take on? 
And Got generally, it. they're accepting. They're they're very accepting of the price because the prices that I use are are based off of national averages, and then I do obviously local adjustments from there. We're roughly about thirty percent over the national average uh, as a general rule of thumb for pricing here in the Twin Cities. Um, and then, like I said, the last one would be the scope of work. You really have to spend, I mean, if you want to separate yourself from the other investors out there on the rehab side of things, present your contractor with an extremely detailed scope of work, right down to model numbers of, of appliances, um, doorknobs, hardware, be very specific with what you want and where you want it. And it'll save your contractor a tremendous amount of time. And I know as a contractor, any client of mine that presents that level of detail, I'm going to take seriously and I'm, I'm, they're going to save me money, which will in turn help me net more profit. Wow. I mean, George, makes complete sense unbelievable advice i mean i'm pretty sure the audience is going to see right away how knowledgeable you guys are in the construction side of the business and uh, uh thank you guys so much for sharing that i think that's very helpful so now moving into the financial side how do you manage you know most investors um are always keeping an eye on the budget making sure that the project is on time how do you manage uh the project from start to finish um, well, we have a lot of different tools that we use. Um, on the finances side, we use QuickBooks. Um, with a, From the funding perspective, we have a, a combination of sources that we use. Um, we have a couple of private lenders that, um, that fund 100% of our projects. Um, those are kind of our favorite source. Uh, we use local banks, and that's our next favorite source because um, – even though we have to put money into the project um, or have a gap funder, um, the interest rates are great. We're only paying half a percent over prime. And the interest, um, you only pay interest on the amount you've drawn to date. So as you're working through your way through the project, your, your interest payment increases. Um, and then after that, we use a combination of hard money and private money. Um, the reason why our our 100% private lenders are our favorite is because um, we get to work with a person, help them grow their nest egg, and most often those are balloon payment um, arrangements. So the interest is accruing and then we're paying it when we close the project. So um, we don't have that monthly payment that we have to cover throughout the project. Um, and then outside of that, we have a number of different tools that we use on the project management side. Um, we have project folders that we set up for all of our project managers um, that give them the scope of project and um, where we're at throughout the life of a project. And then on site, we also use a program called uh, FieldWire as a project management tool, which helps with, uh, with job costing as well as scheduling. Um, and just keeps us organized across multiple uh, multiple jobs. It's pretty easy to manage one to four at a time, but once you start getting above four and start getting up into the 10 to 12 range, you really need some form of tool that you can rely on, kind of like a mobile whiteboard for, uh, for those out there that are, <clears throat> that are a little older. I mean, I... 
I, so how do you guys keep track of uh, budgets, expenses, profits, and how often are you guys looking at your financial records? Um, we use QuickBooks. So, um, you know, everything gets entered into QuickBooks, our budget for our projects, then at the beginning, then as we um, incur expenses, everything gets entered in, um, all the invoices get paid, um, and then we can pull estimate versus actual reports for our staff to see um, where we're at compared to the budget so they always know where we're at. Um, you know, checks get cut out of QuickBooks. Everything's pretty much out of QuickBooks. It makes it really easy. And then at the end of the year, we just send the file to our accountant and he checks everything and makes sure we're good to go and does our filings for us. Um, we are... We have quite a number of projects. We have 14 projects going on right now. So we have data entry into QuickBooks on a daily basis almost. Someone that has one or two projects, you could do it on a weekly basis. So when we had fewer projects, um, basically we would receive all the invoices from all of our subcontractors, everything that had come in in the mail that week, process it on Fridays, and then checks for our subs get cut the following Friday. We still are on that schedule, but with the, the number of projects we have, we have a lot of other miscellaneous stuff going on throughout the week that we manage and deal with. Great. I mean, it seems like you guys are uh, you guys have laid out a plan for your business and you guys stick to those dates and you guys have software. You guys are leveraging software to run a more efficient business. It seems like you guys are you know, pretty much systemized and that's what allows you guys to take on 14 projects. I love it. So what advice would you give to someone trying to get their first deal in, in real estate investing? Take it slow. This is a, this is a marathon. It's not a sprint, right? And uh, when we first started, I really came out of the gate like, uh, how many of these can I do a year? Right out of right out of the shoot, and really that was the wrong mindset to have. Focus on dialing in your contractors. Make sure you know and understand your market and your costs, because costs are going to change per market right know these things inside and out if you're flipping houses know the neighborhoods that your target demographic lives in that can afford to live in that want to live there know all of these things before you rush into taking on multiple projects but getting that first project under your belt really is is just a matter of constant action and consistency in my opinion uh, for me, it's take action. Um, so don't let the fear of the unknown hold you back. Um, you know, if you're not strong on the construction side, network and partner with someone who is. Um, and then, you know, take action. Don't sit on the sidelines because you're really not. You can um, you can spend all the time and money you want on education programs, listening to podcasts, reading books, but if you don't take any action and put and implement what you're learning, um, you, you really aren't going to learn or, or get any step any further forward than where you're at right now. Um, yeah, and then my other thing would be, um, like Gary said, you know, take on one project, hire the contractors, build a relationship, and then then start the next one. Don't take on three projects, think you found one good contractor, hire them for all three, and then you end up 
um, overloading them and putting them out of business and your project, you know, goes sideways and it just becomes a bad experience, you know? So, so once you find a good contractor, treat them well and then don't overload them. Love the advice. Love the, the advice. Thank you guys. So now moving on to, um, this is a kind of like a mindset question and you guys talked a little bit about it. How much does mindset play a role in your success as business owners? It's huge. Yeah, I mean, so most of us, you know, when we uh, when we're born, we go to school, we get an education, we're taught to continue that education, go out, get a great job, and we're trained to be employees from a really young age. We're not necessarily trained to have the right mindset as an entrepreneur, let alone a successful one. So mindset's been critical and that's that's where i would advise anyone looking to get into this business start focusing on 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 having the right mindset understanding that you're going to have their one quote i'm going to cut myself off one quote that i really enjoy is embrace the suck right because this business you're going to have highest of highs and lowest of lows and when you're down in those trenches you're going to have to have the right mindset to not quit and keep on going because that's where success is found it's by not quitting right what is it win or learn i never lose right it's win or learn you just keep moving forward love it Uh, that's the same way that's the same way i think gary so i think it's very very powerful statement Um, so usually i like to win the podcast with a, a few rapid fire questions so people can can learn more about you guys are you guys ready Absolutely. So what is one book, um, Gary and Susanna, I guess you guys can answer you know, each, uh, that has greatly influenced uh, your life and why? I'm sorry, you said one book? Yeah, one book. Oh, I can only choose one, huh? <laughs> um, you know, I'm going to say, I'm actually going to say Jesse Itzler's Living with a Seal. And, um, that one, I mean, it's not necessarily a real estate book or a business book. It's a huge mindset book. Um, but it's really, um, it's really has impacted me in different ways. Your, your body and your brain and your, your mind are trained to, you know, to protect yourself from pain. So when you're, say you're training for a marathon and you're, you're out running and your body says, Oh, I'm tired. You should stop now. And then you kind of, you let yourself back off and, and quit. And at that point, what your brain doesn't realize is that you've got 60% more in the tank. Like you can, you can sustain 60% more abuse than what you're taking right now with that run that you're doing. So don't stop, you know, change your mindset and tap into that 60% more. And, and that is not only like athletically, but like when we're, if we're having a rough time, if we feel like we're kind of slogging through mud, you know, we have to remind ourselves that, you know what, we've got 60% more. This isn't, this isn't the whole picture. Um, you know, we just seem to, you know, put on our big girl panties or big boy panties and get through it. And, and, um, you know, strive on. And that, that really helps us when through the highs and lows. George, mine would have to be the E-Myth. 
Michael Gerber, phenomenal author. Uh, there's many iterations of this book. The E-Myth stands for the Entrepreneurial Myth and Why Most Businesses Fail. Um, this book was instrumental in setting up our business. We use this book to drive systems and how important systems are to managing and, and going through those. The, they talk about three different phases of your entrepreneurial um, journey, right? You start off as that technician and then you try and move up to that manager level and then from that manager level making the jump up to the entrepreneurial level and uh, that's where we all strive to, to to operate our businesses, right? Work on our businesses instead of working in our businesses and that was super powerful for us. So second question, what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life? or less that has impacted my life purchase I would have to say uh, I would have to say books really the self uh, I hate calling them self-help books but that's what they are right I mean, yeah. they're, they're motivational business type books but I read that's really all I read so I think I would have to say audible books because you know we know how well I, I like to sit in the car and listen to audible so yeah I'm going to say audible what are you going with? I don't know. It's really hard. I can't even get an iPhone for under a hundred. I know. That's what I was thinking because that's really what has impacted us with our careers is a smartphone. Oh my gosh, that's yeah. everything in there. Um, you can say smartphone if you want, Susanna. I'll let it slide. Okay. I'm going to say a smartphone because I, I mean, I lived through the days of the first flip phone and the block and the our cool push push to talk phone and. And now, I mean, I don't know what I would do without my smartphone. <laughs> yeah, we, we literally run our businesses from our phone. I mean, when I'm out in the field, bouncing from site to site, pulling up field wire, managing jobs, looking at the schedule, I can pull up the budget through OneDrive. I can look at anything that's on my my desktop in the office it's, it's just phenomenal and i guess that's not really a cheat because the first smartphone i had you got free with your two-year contract right <laughs> <laughs> that is true that's true that's under 100 bucks <laughs> we found a way we found a way to make it fit the category love it there we go and uh last question aside from real estate what are you passionate about wow you're gonna go or you want me to go well you went first last time go for it all right well i am i'm passionate about teaching and helping people um, and really that that extends into other things that we do I'm, I'm very passionate about mountain biking and just being outdoors um, but really coaching just helping people it doesn't really matter what the topic is it you know I just I like helping people Yep. I'm kind of ditto with Gary, but I'm also going to say our family. We have um, two kids, and we love spending time with them. Um, they're older, so it's awesome because our son can go out and have a beer with us now, and um, our daughter just graduated high school. But we love spending time with our kids. They're great human beings. And then um, outside of that, we love being outdoors. Um, I grew up in the Pacific Northwest, so we're big skiers, um, hikers, um mountain bike um we like love being out on the water um yeah yeah so usually before i end the podcast you know i like to ask you guys where can people learn more about you guys um we 
are very social on social media, um, especially Gary. So we have a Facebook page, um, 45 North Properties uh, is our Facebook. Um, Our Instagram is 45 North Invest. Um, And then uh, my email is info at 45northinvest.com. Gary's is Gary at 45northinvest.com. Um, and you can find us in any of those places. We're both on LinkedIn as well. If you just search our names, Gary or Suzanne Griffiths, we're on there as well. Yeah, that's what I would say. Just look us up personally. Gary and Suzanne Griffiths on uh, Facebook, Instagram, any of the social media platforms. We're available. Well, I want to thank you guys so much for coming to the podcast. Uh, you guys gave us so much knowledge, you know, on the construction side, the investing side. So once again, guys, thank you so much for coming and uh, thank you for all your knowledge. Thanks for having us, George. We really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. And like Gary said, we love helping and teaching people. So if people have questions, feel free to reach out. Yeah, and I mean, I urge everyone to reach out to uh, Suzanne and Gary. They are very, very knowledgeable people, and they genuinely want to help. So definitely go follow them on their social medias and their their link to their email and ask them questions. They are great folks. Um, Well, thank you guys so much. Thanks. Thanks, George.